Welcome to Legends from the Fireside. Standing upon the shoulders of giants in this genre, Legends from the Fireside is a hybrid storytelling RPG podcast set within worlds of sword and sorcery. In our tales, the dice tell the fates of those worlds, for good or for ill. No character is sacred. Survival is not guaranteed. As storyteller and game master, I craft the narrative from these dice rules and create quests from this chaos, all without knowing what could happen next. Listener discretion is advised, as we may explore dark corners of this genre. But, come now, for adventure awaits, listen in to the legends from the fireside. In the last episode of Legends from the Fireside, the party recovered from their run-in with Fagritha and make a difficult return back to Stormfair, carrying with them the fallen Morris. Along the way, the party encounters some tricky fae, but the curious Belgin was able to skirt the party around these miscreants. Once within Stormfair, the party paid their final respects to Morris and laid him to rest. After taking time to recover, the party hired on a couple of mercenaries, Sanjin the fighter and Kennard the thief. This newly formed group then marched the longer and more cautious route to the small village of Leader before heading north to Solon Hill. While within Leader, the party stay at the Blue Rock Inn and learn of dwarves operating out of Castle Rose Home, a castle just outside of Solon Hill, who have made the lives of the people out there miserable. Lastly, the party had a run-in with an eavesdropping noble, who, unbeknownst to the party, is a member of the ravenous Maw, and they foolishly trusted the stranger when telling him all about their past and their plans at Solon Hill. Having had a moment to realize the sinister nature of this noble, the party agreed to leave leader at first morning's light. Chapter 19, Part 1, Day 53, Early Morning, Party Status, Terriad, 11 out of 11 hit points, Belgin, 8 out of 8 hit points, Kellum, 8 out of 8 hit points, Theodore, 10 out of 10 hit points, Sanjin, 4 out of 4 hit points, Kennard, 2 out of two hit points. The party has prepared the following spells. Terriad prepared Light 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 and Cure, Cure Light, 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 light. Belgin has prepared 
phantasmal force and chromatic aura. As the group knelt within the rocky crevice, just off of the path to Solon Hill, the rain poured down in droves. The pattering of raindrops was nearly deafening, with puddles of mud at the entryway to their makeshift abode splattering back up at them. The gathered group of men were miserable. Soggy and soaked through, they all knew that this storm wouldn't pass anytime soon. They had managed a few hours of travel that day, though this storm would be a major setback. Each of the travelers did their best to force their mind to journey elsewhere, to avoid the dreary reality of their current situation. Terriad's mind stayed on the road. As he sat rocking gently and humming a few of his favorite traveling hymns, unfortunately, his mind continued to drift to his recently deceased companion Morris, and he allowed himself a few tears while within the rain, knowing well that no one would notice these tears. Kellum's eyes remained on the forested path they'd been on, looking at the horses tied off and appreciating their predicament. He considered their speed and their majesty, yet they were here tied to a tree. In a sense, Kellum wanted nothing more than to set these horses free, to let them live their lives, unburdened by his quest. As Kellum recognized the parallels between his own wishes for freedom and his wishes for the horse's freedom, he shook off the idea and looked back slowly to his gathered companions. He knew now he'd truly accepted the role of leader of this band, and his desire for freedom was tempered by his desire to do good in this world. Thador, being one of the two smallest in the party, was most entrenched in the rock formation they'd taken residence within. His stalwart resolve kept him from shivering under these rainy conditions, but in his heart, he knew how jealous he was of those halflings who were enjoying the comforts of the hearth back home. Belgen, the other of the smallest companions, certainly seemed the least accustomed to the open road, let alone these sorts of conditions. He openly trembled, not attempting to hide his discomfort from the party. As he looked around and saw the joined group of adventurers, he considered just how much of an anomaly he was in Delagrad. As the crushing sense of loneliness and isolation began to descend upon him, he realized that he wasn't just some gnome in Delagrad, and in a sense, he'd transcended his kind and had joined the ranks of the others. He was a mercenary, a traveler, an adventurer. With a slight grin creeping across his cherubic face, he took pleasure in considering his new life to be one he was proud of. Sanjean and Kennard hadn't learned much of their employer, Kellum, before accepting the job and coming along to Solon Hill. They had heard there would likely be trouble along the way, but it was trouble with corrupted evildoers. While Sanjean was much more impressed with their offer of coin for the job, Kennard was excited to act as a form of justice out here in the borderlands. As Sanjean fidgeted with an acorn, he'd begun to carve into a ghoulish figurine with his knife. Kennard looked at the creation and smiled, shaking his head. Maybe this would be the job they can retire adventuring over. Suddenly, 
a flash of bright white light in the distance, and a deep grumbling crack of thunder shattered the gray sky. Each member of the party leapt up in alarm, snapped out of their thoughts. The horses began to stomp and tug at the ropes they were tied up with, and so Kellum, without a second thought, ran into the pouring rain and began to comfort them, gently brushing at their strong necks. The rest of the party looked onward to their leader with a level of respect for the man having taken on such a difficult task as leading them into such a mysterious and likely dangerous land. For the next few days, the party continued along the path, untouched by wandering monsters of the wood, luckily, as I had rolled well enough to keep them all away. Before the group roll into Solon Hill, it seems the right time to go rolling up the village. To get these details for this village, I'll be consulting both the Sandbox Generator by Atelier Clandestine, which, by the way, is a great resource for anybody looking to do some solo play, and The Wilderness Hexplore by Jed McClure, another great resource. All of the following was randomly generated, and the results are certainly interesting. The Village of Solon Hill. The village has a population of 270, with their leader, the village elder, Luratia, a zero-level commoner. Luratia may call upon a group of five local toughs whenever the need arises. The people of Solon Hill are generally suspicious of outsiders, granting a minus one to all reactions, and Luratia is not welcome to outsiders at all, granting a minus two to reactions. The village is built upon a lonesome hill, the namesake of the village. There are six guards working within this village, though none of them are particularly well trained. Within the village, there is a tavern known as the Jester and Mace, which is run by Duella Sherwell. Additionally, there is a coppersmith and a tailor within the village. The village has a large and ornate well at the base of the hill, rumored to have been constructed by the Antendalel elves of old. A house within the village is burned to the ground, and many of the villagers gossip over what had caused this fire. There's a strange old woman living outside of this village, who many claim to be a mage, and she is, in fact, the estranged sister of Luratia, the village elder. Lastly, and most importantly, Luratia has secretly made a pact with a demon, though those details have yet to be ironed out. I like to think that this series of details makes sense for the size of this village. Being such a small settlement, there wouldn't be many businesses, and very few people of note. I do find this to be one of the more satisfying ways to generate settlements, since it feels like a small story writing itself. All the small mysteries and details are also hidden from me up until the point I write it all down, and thus I get to enjoy it as it unfolds, just like you all do as listeners. I will also admit that the fact that this Luratia character has some sort of a pact with a demon may tie in with the halls of Shaladir, though that sounds like it will make for one hell of a story, no pun intended.
nearly eight weeks ago at the castle Roseholm. A wooden cart creaked and groaned as the soldiers of Castle Roseholm led the horses, pulling this cart past the palisades and towards the smoking heap of corpses. The smell was unbearable, and most of the people of the castle covered up with a cloth across their faces to block out this horrible odor. As the team of soldiers began to throw more of the bodies onto the already burning heap, a heavily armored man stepped out beyond the portcullis gate, and he looked on with disgust. The castellan, Marcel Olmil, did not reveal to the people under his watch that he was worried about the future of his castle, nor did he show any sign of weakness in the face of so many of his scouts returning to the castle, torn to shreds by those decaying beasts of the forest. The castellan had earned his position through hard work, long shifts, and many fights defending this castle from invaders of the land. Now, he stood here in the smoke-enveloped castle grounds, surrounded by the doubtful, waiting for the mysterious ambassador of the Emperorblade Syndicate that he had been in contact with to arrive. The resident priest had been the one to implore Marcel to agree to the terms of the dwarves, having made it clear that the only way to truly slay the undead that plague them and Solon Hill would be to use silvered weapons. The castellan had faced many foes in his day, everything from wild animals to monstrosities. But this was different. He was feeling truly powerless with this enemy. Ghouls roving the forests and hills seeking merchants and travelers, whites orchestrating these sorts of devious attacks, and the rest of their wicked kind mindlessly following in droves. The castellan was then pulled from his horrid thoughts as one of the soldiers beside him called out that a carriage was spotted on the road. Look! As that same carriage drew near, dwarves riding on stout horses led the way in pairs. The carriage bore no insignia, no flags, yet all of the dwarves were bearded and brandishing shining axes and shields, and each one wearing glimmering mail. Though the castellan greeted the ambassador of the syndicate, while all of the same formalities he had given to the rest of the guests he had had at Castle Roseholm, a few details stuck out. Gilmac Bronzebell was short and stocky, even by dwarvish standards and he was especially cold and calculating. The castellan was used to his guests being announced by a herald, but instead, Gilmac made an entrance by spitting on the ground outside of the carriage and stretching unceremoniously. The dwarf extended a bejeweled hand for the handshake and introduced himself with a gruff and grumbling voice, much like the sound of two stones grinding against one another. Gilmac Bronzebell, and I'm assuming you're the Castellan Marcel O'Mill? Marcel replied plainly. Yes, you are correct. I'm pleased to make your acquaintance. Please follow me. I'm sure we have much to discuss. As the dwarves entered the castle walls, 
A few stayed back and looked over the carriage and the horses, offering dirty looks to the soldiers outside the castle walls. Those dwarves that marched in alongside Gilmac cracked jokes in the dwarvish tongue and pointed to the architecture of the castle, as if judging the craftsmanship. These remarks weren't lost on Marcel, and instead he took the insults and jokes in stride. As Marcel guided Gilmac into the usual meeting chamber, Gilmac dismissed a pair of his men, instructing them to stand outside of the door. After looking to the castle and for his reaction to this, he saw that Marcel merely nodded in understanding. Now alone, Marcel had taken a seat, and Gilmac paced around the room, looking over the various paintings on the walls, and waited for the castellan to make the first move. I don't imagine you have much time to discuss other things, and so I will get right to the matter at hand. I know that you have plenty of silvered weapons, and I'm hoping we can come to an agreement for a price to purchase them, Marcel stated plainly and with confidence. Now that the castellan had made the first move, the dwarf spun slowly to face him. With a grin, the dwarf shook his head and approached the table. Planting a hand on the surface of the table, the dwarf used the other to stroke his beard in mock contemplation. A price, huh? Well, I'm sure you understand well that I come to you as an already wealthy man, and a wealthy man with far wealthier associates. I'm afraid the price won't be paid in coins. The castellan's curiosity of what the dwarf was alluding to was answered as soon as Gilmac began pacing again, sizing up the room as if imagining the placement of future furniture, statues, and treasure. Catching on quickly to this conniving dwarf, the castellan leapt up from his seat and stared the dwarf down. The dwarf's grin never wavered, and the castellan realized he had played into the dwarf's plan. The castellan tried to keep his speech even and calm as he replied, I don't think I can offer you what you are requesting. Gilmac then put on a feigned expression of concern and tilted his head. I don't suppose you'll have trouble making room for my men. Considering how many of your own have ended up in that burning pile. Let's say, 50 split on this here castle. While those weapons are coming in. Unless you'd rather I tell my men you haven't any desire to purchase these weapons. You see, it's such a long road home. And I'm sure my associates wouldn't like me wasting my time in this way. Those sorts of issues, they usually don't go unnoticed. Now, what do you say? Chapter 19, Part 2 Day 58, Evening the party status has not changed. The wind blew through the village streets as the party entered Solon Hill. 
Having dismounted their horses, the six men walked in, seeking any sort of lodging, though the villagers were not out and about. After meeting with a guard walking the street, the party were directed to the Jester and Mace Tavern. As they came across a sign depicting a flanged mace with a few jingling bells adhered to the mace, they could hear the sounds of revelry within the tavern. Happy to finally get some rest after all of the stormy weather along the way, the group eagerly entered the tavern. The room all but completely fell silent when the party entered. The last few notes from the fiddle and the flute hung on the air as everyone in attendance stared at the party, walking through the door. Belgen then broke the silence by asking, What happened? Why would you stop playing that music? I'll roll a reaction here, as the villagers are not as welcoming to strangers as one might think. I got... Whoa, a twelve! Well, minus one, because they are suspicious of outsiders, but an eleven is still great. The innocent nature of the gnome was certainly enough to win the villagers over, as they began to dance and play music again. As Kellum walked to the bar, and the bartender began to approach him, the door swung open yet again, though the villagers weren't quick enough to stop playing in time. The sound of heavy boots marching into the tavern was enough to garner a few gasps from the villagers. As they looked at the latest to have entered the tavern, they saw a pair of armed and armored dwarves walk in confidently as if they owned the tavern. As always, thank you for listening to Legends from the Fireside. If you liked what you heard, consider leaving a rating and a review. I love reading those reviews, and I'll share them on the show as I receive them. Feel free to reach out at Legends from the Fireside on X, or email me at legendsfromthefireside at gmail.com. One of the reviews that I got recently comes in from David A. Cooper on Apple Podcasts. David says, quite simply, this is a great solo RPG. Short and sweet, to the point, I like it. I love to hear that you're enjoying the show, and I truly am genuinely inspired to continue improving with each review and comment I get. I consider it truly a privilege to entertain everyone listening in, and so it makes it worthwhile to hear that people enjoy it enough to leave kind words and a review. For the next episode, I'm going to do another 10-episode wrap-up, but I figured before I go, I just want to give sort of an end-of-the-year wrap-up. I know I'm a little bit late to a New Year's episode or any sort of New Year's resolutions, but... Anybody keeping track on my Twitter account or in the blog, I have been doing the Hexplorer 24 and I've been having a lot of fun with it. But I truly and genuinely want to say thank you to everybody who's kept up with any of my projects, whether it's my music at Shattered Shield on Bandcamp or my Hexplorer project or this podcast. I'm really grateful to be part of the community and if ever I were to have a New Year's resolution for this project, I certainly want to be more regular with my releases, and I would love to do much more crossover material, sharing my voice with others and plugging other people onto my own show. So, I implore you, if ever you wanted to try some voice acting, send me an email. I can see where I can squeeze you in. 
If ever you'd want to do something of a cross promo, send me an email. I'd love to promote anybody's material. I love being part of the community, being able to share this space with all of you. I hope you all come back soon and listen to more legends from the fireside.